heard the account of David's sin. We've, we've read it before. We've seen it before. We talked about it last week. We've even heard about uh, David commanding Joab to abandon Uriah in battle so that he would die. We know how Nathan came to David and exposed him for his not-so-little secret. We also see where God lays out a pretty severe consequence against David, letting him know the sword is never going to depart from his house. Um, you're going to have your sons rise up against you. They're going to take away your wives and give you to a stranger. And in all that, that was a pretty severe consequence. But then you also see where David repents. David says, hey, I've sinned against God. And it's more than just an admonition, uh, admission of guilt saying, hey, I've sinned. It was like, hey, he sinned before, you know, he admitted he sinned before God. He got himself right. God, rele- God removed the consequence or the, all the penalty that he was going to do. And he simply just took the life of that innocent child. But David repented of that sin and he sought forgiveness of God. Aren't you glad that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin? Because there's times we've done just as bad, if not worse, and God has forgiven our sin. But kids, I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to listen carefully the best you can. And adults, I want you to pay attention the best you can. Everyone else in between, I want you to listen up, pay attention the best you can. Sitting up straight, not falling asleep. So that's going to help out Brother Josh. No falling asleep in church. Just kidding. But... um. But we have to remember some things in Scripture to go through it. We have to remember as believers that contrition and a broken heart are prerequisites for reconciliation with God. David sinned before God, and he tried covering it up, and he thought it was going to be okay. God told Nathan, go and expose what happened, and he did. And David, in that moment, had a choice. David could have puffed up with pride, and just as Saul did, and puff himself up with pride and refuse to submit unto God's authority, Or he could yield himself to God's authority. He could repent, admit his sin, come before God, and get right. And we have those choices every day that we sin. Any sin it may be, lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it may be, okay? Take your Bibles, go to Psalms 51. Psalms 51. In this passage, I believe, is the parallel inside of what was going on in David's heart and mind. I believe this this was, was penned and was prayed before God. Um, by David when I believe it was when his son was dying, when he was facing this, the time of his son was dying. Or it could have been before that. But remember, what we see in the Bible is not always live time. It's not always live events, like watching a live stream or watching things lively taking place, like court documents, court records. A lot of times it's a, it's a, it's a sum, summary. That's the word? It's a summary of what has already been said and done. So in Psalms 51, I believe this was David's prayer of when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone with Bathsheba. He says this in Psalms 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. And aren't you glad it says blot out? That's a good thing to remember, blot out. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, against thee, thee only have I sinned, and have done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother con- conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to, to hear joy and gladness that the, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. When did David suffer broken bones? 
I think it's like deep inside. He was like, man, I'm just tore up. Like God is taking me by the neck and has shook me like Job said. Verse number nine, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Again, he says blot out. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the thy salvation. Just kidding, that's for the Pentecostals. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and hold and hold a um, uphold a, a um, and hold me with thy free spirit. Excuse me, verse thirteen. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. By the way, transgressors will not learn of God's ways, and sinners will not be converted when the name of God is blasphemed. When we blast, when we cause the name of God to be blasphemed, sinners aren't converted. And the unrighteous, the ungodly, are not being taught. They're, they're despising it. And you see that in the world today. Oh, so-and-so Baptist church, that pastor down the road. Oh, that's where so-and-so committed adultery. Hey, that's where that pastor went out and did something with some, something ungodly, unreasonable, unfathomable with children. And oh, that church is just like that. And by the way, when that happens, that church's, that church's probability of ever getting straightened out is just shot out the window. I mean, for, for, eight, for years, that ministry is just destroyed. And unless they get out in front of it, and unless they deal with it, and they personally, openly chastise, openly kick that person out with all, ab- with all abhorrence. But you can't hide it and send them off to Germany. you got to, like, no, we got to deal with this right now. we got to openly and uh, publicly address it in the news, publish it before the record, let everybody know we're not standing for this. We found out about it. The guy's wicked. This guy's ungodly kicking him out of our church we want nothing to do with him we're so sorry we're going to help we're going to help those victims but if they come in and say well he's moving on to a different location god bless him god bless him in his future endeavors that's not how a church is going to get past any problems with with that type of sin by the way that type of issue um there's a lot of churches out there today that um they're having problems with pastors i know of a church right now in jacksonville uh, South jacksonville florida and it's not the church you're thinking of the pastor over for 38 years was violating young children, young girls. The church, the, the deacons found out about it. It was brought before the deacons, before the church elder board, whatever, the church you know, leadership. And they just simply sent him off to be a missionary in, in Germany. As long as he promised never to come back to the States, he wouldn't face trial. Well, he came back to the States because he had bad health. And everything just hit the fan, literally. And I don't mean to say that. I know it's a bad phrase that goes along with that. But things came to light. And that church was tainted by that mentality. The church was tainted by that by that forever. You don't need to have that. There's, churches in, there's a church in Indiana, a big church in Indiana. The church is split three ways from Adam. It's split three ways from Sunday. It's messed up. That church is not growing like it, want, like it once did. Ministries have been destroyed. Lives have been destroyed. What are you going to do when things like that take place? By the way, you can't simply just get up one day and say, well, I addressed it. It's all taken care of. When a problem happens within a church, realize that when problems happen within a church, no matter how big or how small, the community knows about it and holds on to it for years. There's no easy solution of that. The only solution is to cast them out, to turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. There's no way around that, to cast them out. And that's what the Bible's saying here. You've given your, you've given the enemies reason to bless, to bless them. You've given people, you've given the name of God reason to be blasphemed. And he's saying in this passage right here, you, the, unless you get things right, 
unless that person gets things right and is restored to God, the enemies of God are always, they're not, the, 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 the ungodly are never going to change their ways. They're never going to get repented. They're not going to turn themselves from there. They're never going to, the sinners will never be converted. Never will. Verse number 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, and thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and with, and with whole burnt offering. Then will they offer bullocks upon thine altar. But he's going back and he's saying, look, at the sacrifices that God will not reject, doesn't matter how many sacrifices you offer. doesn't matter how many tithes you give. It doesn't matter what great things you do in Jesus' name. God's not going to receive those sacrifices. The only sacrifices that God will receive to justify our sin, to, to correct our sin as believers, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He won't do anything otherwise. He won't receive anything else. He says, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. <clears throat> we must remember as believers that contrition and a broken heart are requisites for reconciliation with God. There is this idea that, well, bubblegum popping, I'll threaten chest-thumping egos are rejected. We don't understand that, that they're rejected by God. We get this idea these people can come down the aisle as long as they can come down and get things right within the church. Hey, okay, well, I apologize. Really? I remember I was, I was, um, we were in New York, and I was watching this live stream of a church we used to go to, my wife and I. And there, this guy had been caught, had been caught in adultery. He been, he was a song leader, got kicked out. And he came back, and he had a testimony. The pastor let him come back, and after like so many years, and he came back, and he gave his testimony about God, you know, correcting him and, and how he got things right with God. And it was good an effort that this was good. This guy got himself right. But then he got up there and said, and I apologize and got right with God. And if you don't accept my apology, you're wicked. You're wrong. And God will judge you. And I was like, boy, he didn't really do any of the things he said he did. A contrite spirit and a broken heart. You didn't do anything you said. Puffed up with ego. I'm like, I would have like, seriously? And I saw this and I was like, wow, this guy missed it by a mile. Like, really, really wrong. But I see that a lot of times. Well, I handled the situation and I you know, hey, I, the person said they're sorry. That doesn't mean he's got to... Just because they said they're sorry doesn't mean they fixed it. David did more than just say I'm sorry before the Lord. He sought to get things right before the Lord. But you see here that there's so many times you, you see it in churches, that they, you know, like the altar calls and stuff, and they come down the aisle chomping on their gum, just, you know, popping their gum, and they're, they're strutting along. They got a cool walk talk going on the aisle, and they, they got their chest thumping, you know, their, you know, their ego thumping, and they're talking about themselves. God says that stuff's rejected. Because it's not a broken spirit and a contrite heart. If you're not broken and distraught over what you've done and the sin you've committed and the blasphemy that you called against God's name, you caused the name of God to be blasphemed, you caused the work of God to cease, and there's no remorse of that? There's no remorse from that whatsoever? Let it not be said of us, of you, that when we sin, we take it lightly. Ah, we sin, no big deal. Man, we've sinned against God. We've sinned against them. Have you ever sinned against your wife or against your husband or against your parents? Let's go through your parents. Everybody here has got parents. Do you remember sinning against your parents? 
Yeah, okay, well, I said I was sorry. I don't fly. I remember when I was 13. I No, I was 12. Any 12-year-olds in here? Hi. I remember when I was 12. I mouthed off at my mom in public. My dad wasn't around. I mouthed off at my mom. My mom turned beet red, embarrassed, and I, I, I lashed into her. I, I was very disrespectful. She turned beet red in embarrassment. She cried and walked away. We were at a grocery store. And I was like, something, something bad happened. And I'm trying to go back in my mind thinking what it was. And then I realized, like, I'm dead when I get home. But can I tell you something? Regardless if I was dead or when I got home, the fact that I hurt my mother, the fact that I sinned against my mom that way, and I did it publicly in front of everybody, I ruined my mom's reputation. I, li- I was better off if I went up and slapped her in the face. Actually, it wouldn't have been better. But that's what, this, what, this would have been just like if I did it to her. I remember I came to myself, and I was like so upset that I did that. And I was like, let's, and I really remember at 12, I was like, why did I mouth off to my mom? Why, w- why would that even come from my, ma- from my lips? Then I started realizing there was things in my life that I didn't respect my mom about and that I didn't hold my mom in high regard. And I didn't respect her as I should have. And I didn't honor my mother like I'm supposed to. And I wasn't obeying her like I was supposed to. And all this kind of came in recollection. I know the Holy Spirit of God was working in my heart. And I was like pressing that thing, just like, like a buzz, like just drilling it in. And I remember going home and apologizing to my mom. And I remember my mom was so taken back. I said, Mom, I'm so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry I did that. I'm sorry for not respecting you. I'm sorry for that. I will be going into my room, and I'll be waiting until Dad gets home. My mom just looked at me, and I said, I deserve it. And I'm not asking for mercy. My dad came home. He showed no mercy. He showed no mercy. My dad lit me up. I was like a Christmas tree in July. It was bright. It was crazy. But I remember, I, I, I know what, and, I don't, and I, re, I don't repent of that. I don't regret that. I deserve it. I deserve full heartedly what I got. David is not asking for, for, is not asking to be all the things that God said would happen to him be taken away. He just wanted to get his relationship right with God. Look what it says in verse number, verse number seven. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow, because I feel dirty. I feel yuck. I feel vile. I'm, I just, ugh. I, was, I believe verse 5 is, is not talking about David himself personally. I believe David is actually thinking about the child. He says, behold, I was shaven. He wasn't blaming, well, I was born a sinner. I was born a sinner. My mom and dad were sinners. That's boy. I believe David was kind of referencing the child here. I don't can't prove from scripture. It's not a doctrine. It's, it's an idea. Okay. It says, "Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin, my mother did my did my mother conceive me." But he's sitting back and he's saying, "Look, I, I'm not blaming on my childhood or upbringing. I believe he's talking about the child, right? He says, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be whiter than snow. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my, my iniquities. He says blot out again, purge, blot out, forgive, wipe them out. 
In Psalms 34, verse number 18, the Bible says, The Lord is nigh unto them, Psalms 34, 18. I don't think I said that right. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. So God, God is nigh to those that have a broken heart, and saveth such as, being of a, as be of a contrite spirit. As Christians, we need to be sorry for our sin. Psalms chapter 51 we just read it here in verse 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. We just read already in Psalms 30, 38, verses 17 and 18. Psalms 38, verses 17 and 18. For I am ready to halt, to stop, be humble, abase myself. My sorrow is, is continually before me. For I will declare my, mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. Now understand this, I am not putting this as a requisite for the lost person. However, it is perfectly okay for a lost person to be guilty about their sin and to realize they're going to hell, to realize they've sinned against a holy, righteous God. It is not wrong, and it's not a bad thing that a person realizes that guilt and it comes to a place of tears when they're praying and asking God to save them because, or to pray out to have tears after they receive Christ, because that sin that they've been harboring, they repented of in their heart. They repented of as a believer would repent. There's nothing wrong with that if they do it on their own, but realizing they didn't get saved by repenting of their sins. They got, they got, they got saved by turning to Jesus. That's, and that's, that's, that's how they get saved. Right. But a person should, a person, a believer, should be sorry for their sin. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us, and we ought to have that groaning within us, that when we sin, we have the Holy Spirit groan. He groans, and, he's, and, it's, and it's, the Bible says, uh, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It ought to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and thus it ought to grieve us when we sin, whatever sin it is. Have you ever talked to somebody who's just in a lie? They've done something stupid, and they get caught in a lie. And you address that lie, and they come up with another lie. And you address that lie, you come up with another lie. You address that lie, you come up with another lie. And soon, they're not repentant of any lie they've told or the original thing they did that was stupid, that was a sinful thing. They're just kind of like, well, you know, well, just, uh, now, they're, now they're embarrassed that they got caught. Well, sooner or later, what happens is that embarrassment goes away, and neither could they blush. And they no longer have the convicting of the Holy Spirit in their life. And it's just an empty shell. The Holy, the Holy Spirit of God is still turning. He's still trying. He's still, pro pro he's still provoking. He's still trying to influence us. He's still trying to convince us of our sin. But we just got to be a peach pit in our heart. And we no longer feel any sorrow for our sin whatsoever. That's a dangerous place for a Christian to be. Because we have no use to the kingdom of God. And we're pretty much right to the place where God will take us home. David said, creating me a clean heart. He's like, look, creating me a clean heart because the heart that I have is filthy. Renew a right spirit within me. But he realizes that there's some problems. Look at verse number, uh, chapter 50, 50, Psalms 51, verse number 11. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, we're not, we understand that we can never lose our salvation. And I don't believe David was saying here, I can lose my salvation. But he was saying, don't let the Holy Spirit's power be taken from me and don't remove me from your presence. Don't put me as a castaway. 
don't put me as someone that's no longer being used for the kingdom of God. God told, da- God told David through Nathan, God told David through Nathan the prophet, yes. He said, the sword's never going to depart from your house. And your wives are going to be taken from you. And someone in your own house is going to rise up against you. Well, guess what? David's wife's got taken from him. David's wife got taken from him at his deathbed. Okay? You see that his son did rise up against him. And the sword was in his house. But David was never removed from being king. And that child also shall die. Psalm, Isaiah chapter 57, verse number 15. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. No wonder God says in Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the Humble, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the meek. Those that are humble, poor in spirit, meek, those that are broken down, they shall be comforted. Why? Because they're brokenhearted. But you find the person that never is humble, that never humbles himself to admit they're sinners, never to the humble admit themselves that they have sinning before God and trespassing their brothers and sisters in Christ. If we never admit that, God's not around them. God's not blessing their lives. God's not going to answer their prayers. God won't do it. And we got to make sure that we're not coming. When we come to our sin, our own individual sin, that we don't judge our sin less as the next person. Forgiveness doesn't mean that consequence is abandoned. David's son died. Uriah died. Those are things that literally happened. David and Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba were adulterers. We don't, we don't avoid those, that truth. That's what they're known for. First, first Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is known as an adulterer. Chapter 12, he gets called out for it. Chapter, two, chapter 11, Uriah dies. He's privy. He's, he's, a, he's an accessory to that death. He called for the army to back off. I'm sure it was, it was you know, sure that there was arrows for the enemy that killed him, but David sent him to his death sentence. No defense. But go to 1 Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 20. David prayed specifically that his sin would be purged. Now, let's go and understand something. Second Samuel was written, first and second Samuel, they were written by Samuel, arguably, this is what church history teaches, right? By commentaries, church history. I wasn't around for it. I couldn't get a hold of Ed to fact check this, but older people can tell me this going through history. But Samuel, Gad, and Nathan, that were all prophets, all wrote first and second Samuel. Okay? It was as if it was happening live in live. In, like was going on now they published it as it was going on now as it was written in, per, in first-hand narrative but this passage in in, in uh, first first chronicles 20 did i say second chronicles first chronicles 20 this is taking place as a summary as a synopsis this is taking as a chronicle as a history book now which is interesting about it chronicles was arguably written by ezra who was also the same Ezra that helped rebuild the, te- rebuild the temple, right? So as in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, it says this. Let's see what's missing. And it came to pass that after the year was expired, 
at the time the kings go out to battle, Joab led forth the power of the army and wasted the country of the children of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried at Jerusalem and Joab smote Rabbah and destroyed it. And David took the crown off the king from off his head and found it to weigh it a talent of gold. And there were precious stones in it. And it was set upon David's head, and he brought also exceeding great, um, exceeding much spoil out of the city. Well, that's the same exact thing we just read in chapter 11, chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. But something missing. What's missing? David's adultery. Go back and read 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and then go back to read 1 Chronicles chapter 20. The same story, but something's blotted out from the history of Second Chronicle, of 1 Chronicles. Well, what was it? David has adultery. Aren't you glad that when God forgives, he also forgets? That just because you mess up today doesn't have to be the legacy of what you're remembered for for all of eternity. Now, yes, we have First and Second Samuel. Some things are written for us in lifetime, and some things are written for us like an autobiography, current events, and some is like a synopsis. But aren't you glad that was written afterwards down the road that's not written in our time frame today, that's written down after we're dead and gone in the history books of our life after it's been dead and, dead and done and over with, after we've been dead and later with our fathers in the sepulchers, after we've done and present, you know, absent body, present Lord, that people look back at our life and can say, hey, you know what? Our sin that, dis that destroyed us in our heart, the sin that was detrimental to the lives of other people around us, God doesn't record it. Because God takes our iniquities and our sins and remembers them no more. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that grateful to know that God says, you know what, I've taken that. I didn't forget it like it never happened. Because it happened. But God's righteousness supersedes our sinfulness. And God washes it white as snow. God sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And no matter what you've done in your life, when you come to God repenting of that sin as a believer, and you're asking God to forgive you, God will purge it. And remember it no more. And when the accuser of brother stands up and sends up and says, hey, what about so-and-so? That old dirty, rotten Joe, you know, is there a Joe here? Dirty, rotten Joe, that dirty, rotten guy. Boy, I tell you what, I can tell you some sin about that guy. And God says, ah, wait a second. Check the record book. It's not there. It's gone. Oh, I know Samuel, it's written there in Samuel for us. But you know what? It's not written there in Chronicles. Because it's not meant for us to remember the sin, it's for us to remember the righteousness of God. And yes, we have sin in our life. And yes, we can look back at Sodom and Gomorrah and how terrible it was. And that Lot was a contributor of that as being a city official, as when it said at the gates. And that he, did his, he didn't do his best to turn the wicked to righteousness. He didn't do anything about that. We look back at scripture and God doesn't look at all at Genesis 19 of all that Lot was. He looks back and says, just Lot. We don't look at David and see the man that committed adultery, the man that was vile, the man that done terrible deeds. We look at the man and it says he was a man after God's own heart. We don't look at Rahab, the harlot. We look at the one that, hey, the mother of, you know, that brought about, you know, Rahab that brought about Boaz, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of Christ, of David, who is the, come from the father of Christ, right? So we see that parallel. We don't remember Rahab the harlot because her past is in the past. We don't see, we don't see uh, Bathsheba anymore as being the vile person that committed adultery against her husband. She's now considered the, 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 the mother of Solomon. And we see all that was bad, evil spoken of, and God changes her life to the good. We don't see Saul, the persecutor of Christians. We see him now as Paul, the apostle. 
Aren't you glad that God takes our mistakes and our things of a past, our sin, and he erases them, he purges them, he blots them out and gives us a new definition, a new history? Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad for that. But look at, look at some things also for what David does. Go back over, keep, go, go to second, um, First Chronicles 20. For sake of turning, you should be there anyway, right? So David goes through, and now Joab, Joab does a super crazy setup. He says, hey, I've laid the groundwork, everything's come over, just come take the city or I'm naming it for myself. Joab was an arrogant little person. I mean, I don't really like Joab much in the Bible. This guy was just an arrogant man. He reminds me of somebody. But he's just an arrogant person. I don't really like the guy. I just don't I have a hard time liking this guy. But he goes through and he sets it up. He lays it, oh, I've done everything you can. All you got to do is knock down the walls. Literally, I've done everything. Just got to come put your flag in. I mean, it's come and take care of it. David goes and takes these people after he conquers. It says in verse number, verse number two, uh, 1 Chronicles 20, verse 2. And, and David took the crown off um, of their king from off his head and found it to weigh a, a talent of gold, and there were precious stones in it, and it was set upon David's head. And he brought also exceeding much spoil out of the city. Look at verse 3. And he brought out the people that were in it and cut them with saws and with harrows of iron and with axes. Even so dealt David with all the cities of the children of Ammon, and David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. He went through and he literally just laid him to waste. Now, this says that he cut him to pieces. And at first I was reading this, I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool, man. David took the conquered him and gave him a place to live and let a place to stay and, you know, gave him jobs. And boy, that's really, that's be really cool. Wanted that? What a gracious king. Go back to First Samuel, go to Second Samuel. This is what, that's, that's kind of how it sounds like with Second Samuel if we don't take the scripture of the scripture. And I was almost guilty of it because I didn't parallel, I didn't parallel passage it. And I just, you know, I was going through here. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't say that at all. Second Samuel chapter number 12, Samuel kind of lays it down differently. The second Samuel kind of write, lays it down differently than how it's written in, in First Chronicles. It says in verse number 31, And he brought forth the people that were therein and put them under saws and under harrows of iron and under axes of iron. Well, that's pretty cool. He put them under it. He made them workers. He gave them jobs. Isn't that pretty cool? And then he says, they made them pass through the Brooklyn. I'm like, what is a Brooklyn? I'm like, wait a second. Then you go back and find out about it. Jesus, like, I mean, Jesus, did I say Jesus? David literally wiped these guys out, showed no mercy. Now, Ammon was a choice made by fleshly Christians. Ammon, Ammonites, were, was a decision made by a fleshly Christian, by a worldly carnal Christian, Lot. Let's go back into the story quickly of who Ammon is, because it's necessary to grow, to, 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 apl to apply this last part to our life. Because it helps us understand what David did as well. Lot comes out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Quickly tell the story, PG, ready? Comes out of Sodom and Gomorrah, departs with his two kids, two kids, one night at a time, goes in, gets the father drunk, does some stupid stuff in the cave. Two nations, Ammon and Moab, right? Ammon came from a decision by a worldly carnal Christian who was Lot. And it affected him. It affected going on through there. David was constantly in a, affected by these Ammonites. He was like constantly affected. The children of Israel were constantly being affected by carnal decisions. By the result of carnal decisions, 
by carnal Christians, right? David utterly abhors them. David shows no mercy. Stoning arrows, axes, burning them in brick ovens. Showed no mercy. Showed no provision. Showed no, no, maybe there's something good in these guys. David just takes them away and says, no more. What would happen? He came to realize that he had to hate sin as much as God hated sin. And if God would judge his sin that way, he didn't want to have anything else of any more compromise in his life that would cause any more drama like what he just went through. Go to, if you would, go to the book of Romans. So what does this have to do with us? Well, forgiven people usually want to put some barriers up so they don't have to do the same thing. They put up some standards. They put up some precautions. They put up some protection around themselves so they don't do what they were guilty of. They want to put some differences between them. I've never met a drunk who would want to go to, 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 to uh, non-alcoholic wine coolers. They don't want any part of it. Well, I don't go to nude to strip clubs. I just go to, they don't do it. They don't go to, well, I used to be on hardcore porn. Now I do on softcore porn. I don't, they don't want no part of it. They want to get away from it as far as possible because they want to, they want to forget what that's what they were part of. They want to put up walls and standards and convictions and safeguards against that. And that's what David was doing here. I don't want to have any more carnal decisions affecting me. I don't want to have any carnal things that that Ammon, a type of the world, a type of a carnal, Ammon is the result of a carnal Christian's decisions. And he goes, I was a carnal Christian. I was supposed to be at war. I was supposed to be doing something, and I wasn't, and I stayed back at Jerusalem. And when I was staying back at Jerusalem, I was up there on top of the wall, and I was looking over the city. And when I should have been at war, but I wasn't, I was at ease. I was at ease. When I should have been with with my troops, I wasn't. I was staying back doing nothing. And then I go out there and I see a woman bathing. And instead of diverting my eyes and repenting that I saw it and kind of going away from that and giving her a privacy, he looked upon her. And then he acted upon his lusts. And that brought forth sin. And sin, what is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Because I don't want to have that anymore. So now I'm putting some things in my heart and my mind, even symbolically, that I am not going to misrepresent this anymore. I'm going to make standards, I'm going to make decisions clear cut out that I want this to be remembered of me anymore. I don't want this to be known of me. I don't want this to be influencing me. I want it out of my heart and mind and life. Romans chapter number 13 verse number 11 and that knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed that night is far the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. These are all carnal. These are all things of, that a carnal Christian would do. A Christian living in the flesh will do. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in the spirit. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Choose to walk in the spirit. And make not what? Provision for the what? For the flesh. That's what a carnal Christian does. They make provision for the things of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. He said, you know what? I don't want to be enticed. I don't want to have my, I don't want to be enticed. I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to be drawn away. I don't want sin. I want it out of my life. I'm eradicated. I'm going to do the most upright abhorrence. I'm going to do so much. I'm going to do so much to show a disdain for this in my own life. I don't want to ever have this influence my life ever again. 
because he realized that although he was forgiven of God, he wanted to make sure it was never going to happen again in his mind, in his heart, in his life. So he put up safeguards, and he put up standards. He put up convictions. He put up things in his life that would never have it happen to him again. Modern Christianity sits back and says, eh, grace is grace. I'm all good. Grace is grace. God's grace is abundant. God's grace is amazing. Once saved, always saved. I'm going to do anything I want to do, but I'm still going to have it at the end of the day. I'm not questioning that question whether once saved, always saved is real, but I am questioning the sincerity of the believer that will continue in sin that grace may abound. Paul questioned it too. Can we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For how that we are you know, dead to sin live any longer therein. Not questioning. I know we all have sin in our life. I know we're still sinners. I'm not saying it's sinless perfection. I know better than that. What I am saying is, boy, when we do sin, how do we, re, how, do we re, how do we eradicate it? When we do sin, do we put it aside with all malice? Or do we kind of put it in our back corner that one day we might need it one day? Yeah, we, want, we might need to keep those strong words one day. We might need to cuss someone out, so I'm going to hold on to it one day. Do we, do we hold on to that grudge? Do we hold on to that, to that sin? Do we hold on to that anger? Do we hold on to that resentment? For that one time you might need it. God says, vengeance is mine, say the Lord, I will repay. David took absolute just annihilation on the enemies of God. He didn't say, he, remember, remember Saul? Saul destroyed pretty much everything, didn't he? Yeah, he destroyed pretty much everything. But pretty much doesn't mean everything. He still brought back the king, Agag. He still brought back the best sheep, the best oxen, so they could sacrifice to the Lord. Not interested in it. God says total obedience or no obedience at all. I want everything. Destroy everything. Hate it that much. David came to the understanding that I want, if I'm going to be forgiven, I want to make sure I never have this to go through again. And he made up those separations. He made up those walls. As a Christian, the things that we so easily are beset with, our sin that so easily besets us, we need to cast those things off so we can run with patience the race that is set before us and put them aside with all malice. David did that in this passage. Now, David wasn't perfect. We're gonna, next, next couple of chapters, we read some things about David. That sword that never departed from his house, it's there. It's, 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 it's one rises up against him from his own house. We see it unfolding, but he was forgiven. Just because you've been forgiven doesn't mean, oh, I, I've got AIDS, I'm asking Jesus to save me. Oh, I'm asking God to forgive me. Okay, God will forgive you for your infraction, but you're not, you're not forgiven of the judgment that follows. You know, So David still had correction, still had the consequences that follow, but he was forgiven. And because he was forgiven, God gave him grace to, to outlast and overcome all the obstacles that came along with his bad decision, the fruit of his bad decision. We're going to be not deceived. God's not mocked. The mistakes that we make, there, there are mistakes. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna reap the consequences of our mistakes. But you know what? God's grace is also there to help us endure the bad decisions we made. Those are, that's, that's some good truths in God's word. Anyways, that's all I got for this morning. Thank God for God's forgiveness, and I pray it's a blessing for you guys. Let's go ahead and ask God's blessing as we dismiss in prayer. And um, Brother Aaron, if you would lead us in prayer.